Welcome to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. Seniors deserve to have a life with respect, dignity, and fulfillment. But as we transition into elderhood, this doesn't always happen. Join us today as we discuss some of the most important issues that seniors face and provide much-needed answers to your questions. Now, here are Phyllis and Rubina. Welcome to Senior Straight Talk, where we present informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. The show, formerly known as Voices for Elder Care Advocacy, has been rebranded with expanded content and topics. All of the previous episodes of Voices for Elder Care Advocacy can still be found on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and is available on all of your favorite podcast platforms. I'm Phyllis Amon, your host. I'm glad to be here with my co-host today, Rubina Chaudhry, out in California. How are you doing today, Rubina? I'm doing well, Phyllis. Ah, glad to hear. It's kind of hot here. I'm in lower Connecticut. It's kind of hot and humid. Uh, California certainly is known for being hot. What's, what's the weather out there like today? Uh, it's been warm, but not, uh, not very hot. And right now, uh, I'm you know, seeing the tree limbs moving with a nice breeze, so I think it's going to be a nice evening. Okay, great. Okay, so uh, I want to interview, introduce, I should say, our guest who um, I've spoken to several times before, and um, she's a wonderful gal, Liza Berger, who's a senior editor of McKnight's Long-Term Care News. Uh, she previously served in this role from 2004 to 2011, and then Liza spent the intervening years as a managing editor at GLC, a custom publishing organization, and now she's back at McKnight's Long-Term Care News where she's writing and learning about long-term care. And, of course, Rubina, you and I, we're, we're in that space, so I'm so thrilled that Liza can be here to talk about this issue with our listeners. So welcome, Liza. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm so thrilled that, that the listeners can hear what the trends are from uh, somebody who's an editor. You know, you see so many articles and, and read so much. Mm-hmm. Oh, what are the trends, the housing trends in long-term care that might be of interest to, to listeners? Yeah, well, obviously this pandemic has upended things a bit, so um, we, we will have to see how things go um, as this pandemic continues and hopefully as it ends, I think um, we're going to be seeing, we could be seeing some significant shifts um, in the industry based on the pandemic. But the kind of the way things have been going um, up, up until this pandemic, up until um, the beginning of this year, we see nursing, on, uh, nursing homes taking on more risk, um, them kind of com- becoming insurance. Uh, models um, as well as nursing homes, um, and that's being done through a particular uh, Medicare Advantage model called the ISNIP, um, w- um, which um, is a Medicare Advantage type plan, and, and facilities basically kind of assume risk um, on behalf of the residents. So that's 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 a trend. Um, there is a trend uh, as part of this ISNIP model, nursing homes are really kind of being forced to uh, produce quality. Um, and so that, that has changed. The whole um, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services has really emphasized 
quality, and that's come out in the way that they pay nursing homes. So nursing homes have, you know, and, and I think that's been, I think most people would say that's for the better, as opposed to having, uh, being paid based on procedure. It's really based on quality and outcomes. That's another trend that we're, we're seeing. We're seeing more sicker residents in nursing homes. Um, nursing homes really have, the, the, the patient population really has changed and it's become sicker. Who you see in nursing homes, you never, um, they, they, it's, it's sort of all gone, you know, there's been a shift all throughout the, the, the continuum and now people who go into assisted living um, are the sort of the people you would have seen going into nursing homes. So it's had kind of this downstream effect. Um, so we've also seen a rise in, um, kind of alternative environments, assisted living really has grown. Um, and so that's kind of, you know, kind of given nursing homes a little bit of a run for their money. And um, really just a continued push for, for resident-centered care environments. Um, the greenhouse model might be something your, your listeners may have heard of and that's um, been around for a while. Um, but I think, as I mentioned, the COVID-19 um, pandemic may sort of continue to push these things. And um, we'll have to just see. It'll be a very interesting time going forward. Uh, absolutely. I, uh, I interviewed Dr. Bill Thomas a few weeks ago, who was the pioneer and the, the vision behind the greenhouse model. And we talked about that quite a bit. But I, I want to ask you a question, if you don't mind, if we go back a little bit mm -hmm. about ISNIPs. Mm -hmm. um, is that kind yeah. of like an, an insurance plan of sorts that the nursing home has? Um, and and that, in that way, they take responsibility for the resident. And then when the resident goes to the hospital, they kind of... Um, know that the resident is going to come back to them and then they keep track of, of what's happened during the hospitalization. Is that what that plan is about? For, for yeah, you, yeah, you described that well. And yeah, just to kind of go back a little bit, it's a Medicare Advantage model and it stands for Institutional Special Needs Plan and that's I-SNP. Um, I, they call it the I-SNP. There's a lot of acronyms. There's a lot of alphabet soup in long-term care. <laughs> but that's what yeah, that sure stands is. for. Um, so it, it's, um, it's a model that really nursing homes have become excited about because it, it sort of puts them, quote-unquote, in the driver's seat where they can kind of determine what the care the resident receives and where they receive it. Right now, when a resident kind of goes to the hospital, it's sort of the nursing home um, kind, of, kind of sort of has to clean their hands of the resident until the resident comes back, and things are quite siloed. So, it, you know, once the hospital takes the patient, it's kind of under their charge and, and in their care, and, and things, the systems are quite separate. But in the, with this particular plan, if, if a resident needs to go to the, to the hospital, the, the, the nursing home can release the resident to the hospital, but then bring, you know, then the nurse, the resident can come back under, under three days and still receive nursing home care. That, that's, that's a major change. Right now, in order to receive benefits from the nursing home, you need a three-day, they call it a three-day prior hospitalization stay. That gets right. waived under this particular plan. There's other flexibilities that are part of it. Um, one of the most um, sort of encouraging things about this plan is that it's, 
is based on this nurse practitioner concept. So the, a nurse, there has to be a salaried nurse practitioner position, which you know, nursing homes aren't required to have right now. So therefore, uh, there's, uh, or, or uh, there's a medical doctor that's salaried and is there more often than they are now. So you have these people in the plan that are actually getting more medical attention at the nursing home. So there's some good, you know, things about it. It's still relatively new. It's, 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 it's been around for a decade or more, but um, it's becoming more popular as nursing homes are seeing it as a way to kind of be able to control their destinies a little bit better. So uh, uh, go ahead, Rubina. Okay. Well, that's, that's very interesting. What current product is iSNP competing with, just so that we get a better understanding? So there's other kind of models like that. Accountable care organizations are another type of model. Um, again, mm-hmm. it's under Medicare Advantage, and sort of the difference between them is it's like under the ACO, the hospital kind of controls the pot of money. Um, and so the hospitals are, quote, unquote, in the driver's seat for something like that. There's these, these other models that they call it payment bundling where, like, uh, you know, the, the patient has kind of there's, there's a bundle of money that kind of follows the patient. And, again, I think that's uh, more of a doctor. That, that's where the doctors are a little bit more in charge. So this is sort of the nursing home's way of sort of controlling the purse strings a little bit, controlling that, you know, where the money goes as it relates mm-hmm. to the patient. So as, as so you're describing it, not the... Oh, oh go ahead, Rubina. Let me just dig a little bit deeper. So that's not the basic Medicare. This is the advantage that's on top of the basic Medicare. That correct, they're not correct. To, they're not getting into the Medicare business, but just on that. Uh, that's specialty, yeah, specialty the right. Yes. Yeah, it's a specialty kind of Medicare program, correct? Right. And it's a CMS program. So, as part of it, facilities receive an upfront per member per month payment. It really only works. You need to have a certain number of residents to make it work. It's not for every provider. It's not going to work if you have five residents. You need about 500 to 1,000 residents to really make it make it efficient to make it to make it worth your while. So it's not for every provider, but for those that have, you know, economies of scale that have enough residents, they're really interested in in pursuing something like this. Um, so I'm not quite ready. But yeah. can I just mm-hmm. ask a quick question about that when you say about a certain number sure. of residents? Um, because I've been in smaller buildings than that that do have an mm-hmm. ISNIP plan. So Mm-hmm. If an ownership owns several buildings, could is mm-hmm. um, can they have an ISNIP under that umbrella, and therefore mm-hmm. the individual facilities would be able to take advantage of that plan? I believe so. I believe so. If you're a big provider and you have a lot of facilities, Evangelical Lutheran um, Good Samaritan, they they have an uh, they have I believe they have an ISNIP and they have obviously a lot of facilities um, that are a part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rubina, did you want to ask something else? No, I, I think this is it's good to understand that this is happening and uh, this is like self-funding it, uh, um, the self-funding the risk or taking advantage of the risk, which, uh, which can be helpful if it's managed uh, well. 
Uh, and I also now, think uh, being in facilities where there haven't always been um, medical personnel that were present for a large uh, p- percentage of the day, I would say, uh, this certainly is a better model because this, in all likelihood, I would assume, would prevent people from going to the hospital if there's somebody, right. a medical person, right there who could attend to an immediate need. That's exactly right, and that is kind of the overriding impetus to, to have this model is you say, you know what, we can do it better. I, I sound like I'm a proponent for ISNIP. I've just written about it, and I know that there is a lot of, I'm not necessarily, I'm not necessarily touting ISNIPs, but I just, I just know why people are in, and, and that is the reason they say, you know what, we can do it better. We, can, we know this patient, we know this resident better than anybody else does. So let us decide what this resident needs, when this resident needs to go to the hospital, when it's best not to go to the hospital. So a lot of times it's better not to go to the hospital, right, because you go to the hospital and then who knows what's going to happen. Um, there, there's all sorts of complications that could happen there. So um, I, that's kind of the reason why it's kind of caught fire a little bit. Mm. Yeah. It's good to know. Uh, yeah. I'm going uh, yeah. I'd like to go back to the basics for a second, um, Liza. We heard the term, hear the terms nursing home and senior nursing facilities. And there are also skilled nursing facilities. Right. Is there a difference? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I believe there, there, there's a difference. I mean, the, the nursing home, we all know what a nursing home is, right? It's been around for many decades. It's It's sort of the idea that... You go there when you're kind of really kind of ready to die, right? Uh, you, nobody can really take care. You can't be taken care of at home anymore. Your spouse or your children can't take care of you. You go into a nursing home. So the, the idea is that a nursing home is kind of a long-term care place to live. Okay, so most nursing homes have some kind of a skilled nursing component now. So the w- one way to look at it is like all skilled nursing facilities are nursing homes, but not necessarily all nursing homes are sk- skilled nursing facilities. And kind of the big distinction there is that skilled nursing implies um, some level of skilled care. So, and, and really the way that it's been used over the last 20 years is really for therapy. So if you, if you have a hip or a joint replacement, um, you're going to need some level of skilled care. The question is, where do you go? Well, nursing homes have gotten into the skilled nursing business over the last few decades. So you go to a nursing home or a skilled nursing facility in order to recover from a, a replacement. You're not in the nursing home. You're not in the long-term care part. You're in the short-term care part. And you'll stay there for a few days, and then you'll go home. But that's pretty much when we're talking about skilled care. That's 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 often what we're talking about. It's but, that short-term care uh, aspect. But, but, wouldn't, but wouldn't you also say that uh, there are nursing homes or when people mm-hmm. don't need skilled nursing care, but they just mm-hmm. need assistance with activities of daily living, whether it's mm-hmm. uh, bathing or toileting or dressing or mm-hmm. eating, but mm-hmm. they may not mm-hmm. necessarily need uh, skilled uh, medical or nursing intervention, that more of a skilled nursing facility is when someone is, as you said, people are going into these facilities more acute, mostly in more acute situations Mm -hmm. because hospitals Mm -hmm. are discharging people earlier. 
and so they're going mm-hmm. to need some care, even mm-hmm. if it's beyond mm-hmm. the short-term rehab mm-hmm. situation. Uh, so they're mm-hmm. going to need to be in a place where they receive more skilled intervention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, I, you know, there's, there's sort of these um, categorizations of, or people have, there's people that basically d- outline what the level of care is, and, and, they, and they sort of define it by what they call the ADL, the activity of daily living. So if you can't do a certain amount of, and you know this, Phyllis, through your work, if right. you can't do a certain amount of activities through daily living, you could be a good candidate for, for nursing home care. You may be a better candidate for assisted living. That's where we start, right, when you can't do certain things, and maybe the um, home care is just too expensive or it's not it's not enough, then you would go into an assisted living situation. But toileting, you know, being able to get up, you know, um, from your bed, being able to walk across the room, being able to brush your teeth, being able to, all those are kind of considered uh, activities of daily living. And the fewer you can do, then the more, more care you likely will need. Right. And as you said, uh, now people who need some level of skilled intervention, but not maybe mm-hmm. more advanced skilled intervention, let, let's say like mm-hmm. IVs or mm-hmm. injections. or um, right. uh, Some of those people are now finding that they can be in an assisted living situation, which is more of a social environment, I would say, um, certainly less institutional. Right, right. I mean, I, you know, the, the big challenge with assisted living is the government I believe for the most part doesn't pay for it. It's out of pocket, right. private pay. But, and but I think that I think there, may be, uh-huh. there, there may be mm-hmm. some moves in that direction. Is, is that correct? Yeah, I, they, they've been definitely working on it. And I think if there are cases where Medicare will pay for it. I still think it's relatively few and far between, but I know that it's been definitely going in that direction um, because it's, it's really tough if you're trying to figure out what to do for a loved one and you're trying you, it's you only have so much money you have to decide how best to use it and um and it gets very expensive very fast so i, I families i think who have elderly loved ones you know deal with this very regularly and it's very common when you're trying to decide where where do we go from here you know, that's, right. uh, that's very true, Liza. Um, the authorities are pushing more and more people towards assisted living mm-hmm. because, you know, the, the, the long-term care is more expensive, and that's, uh, that's definitely happening. Um, the ISNIPS model, is it only applicable when the individual is in a nursing facility or a, or a skilled nursing facility, or is it an insurance one buys as, let's say you have a, an XYZ Medicare and then you buy mm-hmm. an um, advantage plan there. So is this something mm-hmm. people can buy on the market, or is it only available when they are in that certain particular uh, facility where that's available? Mm-hmm. I believe it's just the facility model, but there's other actually kind. There are other SNPs. There's actually other special okay. needs plans. There's one called a C SNP, okay. 
which is a chronic disease special needs plan. Um, uh-huh. And um, I believe there might be one more, but I believe that they're primary, primarily facilitated, yeah, by, by facilities. Right. Okay. I just wanted to clarify that, that it's, you know, mm-hmm. that in a conversation, mm-hmm. yeah. so that we're clear mm-hmm. that it's the facilities that have it. So if one goes there mm-hmm. to that facility, then they will. Mm-hmm. Uh, they will right. And if you're a resident, you might be approached. Yeah. If you're a resident, you might you be might approached be by a facility yeah. saying, yeah. hey, Hey, will you join? Will you, would, you, would you be interested in this? And oh, that is so a voluntary a decision. Are, are there ethics involved in that? Are there certain things that they're allowed to ask them or not allowed to ask them in terms of I, wanting them to mm-hmm. uh, uh, enroll in that plan? I think there's rules, yes. There's rules about how you promote it and how you recruit and, and things like that, absolutely, yeah. And there's a particular, uh, you know, the, the time. Yeah, there's a time frame that that they there's an enrollment period, and you know, CMS has very is very prescriptive about how you go about doing these things, as you can imagine. <laughs> yes, I, uh-huh. uh, certainly. As with everything else, there's lots of regulations. Um, uh-huh. I, I have a question when you, you brought up the COVID situation um, and change uh-huh. in reimbursements. And there, have been a, there is a big change in reimbursement as of uh, October 2019, which is more uh, outcome-driven. Uh-huh. It's called the patient, um, patient-driven payment model, PDPM for sure, talking about uh-huh. acronyms. And it's it's uh-huh. more about outcomes and um, not uh-huh. so much based not not so much but uh, they they're trying to move away from uh, quantity from from reimbursement uh-huh. based on quantity and volume uh-huh. as opposed to now based on quality based on outcomes mm-hmm. based on performance mm-hmm. um, which mm-hmm. which is changing the therapy models and facilities a little bit but. Uh, pre and post COVID, how do you think that's going to affect the situation? And can you talk about these waivers that have been issued for nursing homes um, in, mm-hmm. in, during the COVID situation? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, starting with PDPM, yeah. So this was a major change. It was actually the biggest change for payment for nursing homes since 1998 when this prospective payment system went into effect. Um, to, to listeners who um, <laughs> might, you know, start uh, rolling their eyes when they get, it gets to, to be a little bit um, too technical, basically the change for nursing homes is, like you said, Phyllis, it's about um, looking at the whole patient, the whole medical um, profile of the patient as opposed to really just looking at what kind of therapy they need. Nursing homes um, were paid based on how much therapy they provided. And, and, you know, nursing homes, it's a very narrow margin business. So they sort of used the former system to be able to make some money. That was just what they did. And, And the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services said we're changing this up. We need to um, look at the patient a little bit with more complexity. So we're not going to base it just on therapy. We're going to look at at all the the different needs that the patient has and pay based on that. So um, that that was a bit of a shock to the nursing home uh, community because they thought, oh, my goodness, if we're not going to get paid based on therapy, are we going to get paid? 
Um, and it actually led to. Uh, it to led to I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh because it's funny. But yes, there was talk about shock. People were very, very they were fearful. I mean, it, they had no idea how it was going to uh, affect them. Uh, but it turns out that it hasn't had a negative effect. But go on. I'm I'm sorry to interject that, but I'm just yeah. You know more about this than me, Phyllis. Right. Yeah, I know you. you yeah, you you have your your own um, experience you can provide. But so it's been it, it went into effect as you said in October, um, and the sky didn't end up falling. Um, you know, nursing homes uh, were basically seemed like just sort of being paid pretty much comparable to what they were being paid before. Um, it changed ther- it changed the role of the therapist, and it in fact led to some layoffs of therapists because um, the one-on-one therapy model wasn't really um, needed anymore. So um, the nursing homes were going to what they call group and concurrent therapy, which is basically just more than one person having therapy at the same time. Um, and um, but it, I, there really hasn't been much talk about it. Um, I, obviously, COVID has just taken all the air out of the room. So um, if COVID wasn't there, we'd probably be talking much more about PDPM. But I think the consensus is that it's not all that much different. They're getting paid. It's not, uh, it's not any big difference. The CMS was actually also concerned about nursing homes, I think, juicing up this as well. And they were saying, well, if you're going to, do too much of this other kind of therapy, then we're going to have to recalibrate the rates and things like that. I don't think they, right. they've had to do that yet. So um, anyway, so that, that's kind of rolling along. And then just in terms of what COVID is going to wreak, I mean, it's, it's going to be really interesting. Um, I, think, I think that nursing homes in a way are, are kind of in a good spot in, in terms of reimbursement because they've really got, they've taken a huge hit. COVID has been so, so challenging for facilities in terms of um, being able to have the, the staffing and the resources, the money just to be able to pay for testing and for be, being able to pay for the personal protective equipment. It's been really devastating. Um, Genesis, the biggest nursing home chain in the country, just came out yesterday and said, we may, not, we may have to file for bankruptcy. They said that I yesterday. saw that. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, I mean, it is, it's been a huge sea change. We don't know what's on the other side. I think, it, I think nursing homes will be permanently uh, affected by this. Um, and, but how, it's, it sort of remains to be seen. But it's, it's really a game changer, this thing. It's, and, I, and I think, as, as, as I had just alluded to, you know, nursing homes need help. The, the payment is not, they're not getting enough for the care that they provide, and they're just crying, you know, every day they're pleading, they're, and, and I think that they're getting heard. I think the public is starting to see that. Nursing homes are not, um, they're not the villain in this. They're the victim, and um, they've I, done, I, the, the, they were caught off guard like everyone else. It's, so. it, it's interesting that you say that because I was talking with a regional administrator that I know last week, and we had this very conversation. He said, listen, there were mistakes made. PPE, I, no nursing home would ever have the amount of PPE that was required for this. They would never have foreseen it. Hospitals didn't foresee mm-hmm. it. So they, they can't be, you know, the finger can't be pointed at them for that. And then, you know, mm-hmm. especially in New York, they had to accept these residents. Some of them, they didn't even know whether they were positive or not. Um, 
Yeah. From those facilities that I know that I've been in, um, in terms of managing the COVID patients and the rest of the patients in the facility, they really did the best they can under the circumstances. Um, like this regional administrator said to me, you know, there's enough blame to go around. There's no point in blaming anybody. Let's see what we can do moving forward because there is a likelihood that there will be a resurgence and hopefully that we learn from this and can make adjustments. Um, but, um, you know, when, when we, we come back, I just wanted to um, ask um, uh, about something that you had said, but we have to take a short break. So we're going to take a short break on Seniors Straight Talk. We'll be back in a moment with Liza Berger and my co-host, Rabina Chaudhry. Phyllis Amon, owner of Phyllis Amon Associates, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones and coaches them to become more effective advocates. Her expertise comes from working in over 45 nursing homes. Phyllis, known for her passion, empathy, high-quality care standards, and quality life for older adults, is an experienced educator, speaker, and trainer. She's bridged the gap from healthcare to public and private sector businesses on topics from communication, caregiving, empathy, and novel approaches to team building and leadership. Rubina Chaudhry is president and founder of Mars Services, an engineering management consulting firm, as well as founder and president of All of Community Services, a 501c3 providing support services to seniors, families, and the community. Olive's Live, Learn, and Thrive programs engage seniors physically, mentally, and socially. Rubina's passion for seniors stems from her experiences as an only child, living miles away from her aging parents who are over 90 years of age. She understands the issues and decisions caregivers face. Visit olivecs.org for further information. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email the hosts at phyllis at seniorstraighttalk.com. Now back to Senior Straight Talk. Welcome back to Senior Straight Talk. Uh, we're here with Liza Berger from McKnight's Long-Term Care News and my co-host, Rubina Chaudhry. So before we went to break... Um, Liza, I wanted to um, mention something about the therapy you said because um, under the PDPM, uh, the group therapy, I, I believe, was supposed to be 25% of the total therapy. Mm -hmm. And it's true, mm -hmm. like you said, a lot of facilities let go of therapists because there was a component where, where people uh, were getting therapies in groups. But now that people are not having therapy in groups because of COVID, people are being um, receiving therapy in their rooms, and now they're finding that they need more therapists again. Mm -hmm. right. So that's definitely a situation where COVID has changed, 
and um, mm-hmm. we'll see what happens moving forward when they will start to mm-hmm. reopen um, facilities and even places where uh, the COVID uh, rate is, is certainly negligible, like uh, in places in New York. Um, I don't believe they've reinstituted um, group therapy again. But uh, we also, I had also asked about waivers. So can you talk a little mm-hmm. bit about that? I don't know if listeners mm-hmm. know about the waivers that have been um, yeah, applied during No, COVID. absolutely. So when the president declared COVID a national emergency, that sort of um, kicked in um, some waivers that were enacted in order to protect um, facilities, you know, during this time. And some of them are called blanket waivers, um, which means that they just, they, they take effect and um, you don't, that there's really, you don't have to kind of do anything. That's just, this is the way they is, it is based on this emergency situation. So uh, telehealth obviously is a huge waiver. They, CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services said, you know what, obviously we, we, we are not going to allow people to come into the facility, so we need to expand the use of telehealth. You can have your, you can see your physician and you can see therapists. Um, through telehealth, that's kind of the one waiver that people believe is really going to stick around just because it was, it's, it's kind of, uh, it's no harm, no foul. I think that in general, it's, it's, a, it's an okay thing. It's really not going to hurt anybody. Um, it allows for more care. Um, you, you could say, well, you really should have a physician or, you know, a therapist on site doing it. But I think in, in certain cases, it, it kind of works. So I think that's going to be sticking around. Um, there's other, yeah, were you going to say something? No. Um, otherwise, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, otherwise, yeah, there, there's other waivers. Um, they allowed for certified nursing aides or CNAs to be able to work um, without getting kind of training that they were required to have after four months of work. So they waived that because there's been a shortage of personnel. And they said, you you can have, you know, you don't need this additional training. That's another waiver. They did a lot. They did some waivers. They they did a waiver on this three-day prior hospitalization so you can, um, if you have COVID or, or signs of COVID, um, um, you know, they, they waive that, the requirement for a three-day prior hospitalization to receive coverage for skilled nursing. So, and they waive some other things on reporting. Um, some of those things are actually going to be, that they've stopped the waiver on some of this nursing home reporting. Um, and they, the, way, the reason that they waived it is that nursing homes have just been inundated, and they said, we're going to give you a break for now. Um, so some, some, most of yeah. it probably will revert back to the way it was, but some of it could, could, um, could, could end up just being part of the new way going forward. Right. Now, I have a question like that. Do you also cover the personal side? families, their experiences, individuals' experiences, what's the, the breadth of your coverage in McKnight's long-term care news? Yeah, so our magazine is geared, it's a professional, it's a business-to-business magazine, so it goes to people okay. who work in facilities, um, primarily um, kind of the, the, le- the leaders of the facilities, the CEOs, the owners, the directors of nursing, the administrators, kind of the, the people who make the, the decisions. So that's kind of who our 
our magazines are geared for. Um, we also have our sister publication is McKnight Senior Living, which goes to those types of people in assisted living, um, independent living facilities. So we kind of cover the gamut of senior care through our two our two brands. But um, yeah, so our 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 magazines and um, publications do not go to consumers, at least as of yet. That's okay. not who our audience is. It's the it's the professionals. They they okay. can't go to consumers. No, I mean no, not our no our our publications are well the the the, the print publications are control, controlled circulation and they go to the facilities. Mm-hmm. Obviously, anyone can come to our website and they do. Pe- consumers come to our website, um, mcknights.com and mcknightsseniorliving.com. You can come and and learn information about the field. I think that most of it is pretty reader friendly. Some of it gets a little bit technical. You know, what I was talking, you know, talking about, you know, eye snips and uh, PDPM and all that, that might make people's eyes glaze over a little bit. <laughs> but I think that you can pick up, you can pick, there's some, there's some in, in, in information that I think is, is interesting, especially now with COVID. It, it's, a, it's, it's a news source that I think would be of interest to many people. We have guest columns, and Phyllis has been a guest columnist, that um, some of those, some of, that's where we might, that guest columnists bring up the you know the topic of what it's like perhaps to be, um, you know, a, a nursing home, a family of a nursing home resident, the challenges that they face. So we have that through our you know you can get that perspective through our guest columnists. Yeah, I, I'm very proud that Yeah, I'm very proud that McKnight's has um, has um, printed two of my columns, and um, I I don't I'm smiling just even thinking about it. So I'm very appreciative um, for to you, Liza, and also to Jim Berklin, the 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 editor of the magazine that uh, you've you've mm-hmm. done that. I, I have a question mm-hmm. about. Um, I had read something that CMS uh, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services was going to allocate another five billion dollars. Uh, to nursing homes mm-hmm. for increased staffing and the use of technology to increase more, mm-hmm. uh, increase and facilitate virtual visits. Have you heard anything about further about that? Because I only saw it once briefly, and I haven't heard anything else about it. Yeah, um, just on Friday, um, the Department of Health and Human Services. Um, I believe talked about how they're going to be distributing the money. Um, and I think what they said was um, they're going to, they're going to provide about 2.5 billion to pay for increased testing, staffing and personal protective equipment. Um, and that's going to be happening in May, August and the rest of the funding is being linked to nursing home performance. So um, I, the Department of Health and Human Services will consider um, the prevalence of the virus in the nurse in the nursing home surrounding community, the facility's ability to minimize the spread, and COVID-related deaths among residents. Um, I, I don't know. They're going to hold the nursing homes accountable um, to and stimulate innovations and find new resources and expertise for infection control with these funds. So they're going to be using it for different things. Uh, yeah, I had read also Mind that, that? Uh, someplace along the line that they were going to stipulate that. Uh, every nursing home in the country should uh, test staff members uh, once weekly. How realistic do you think that is? There are 15,500 nursing homes mm-hmm. in this country, mm-hmm. and like you say, the cost of testing is, is astronomical, mm-hmm. actually. 
Yeah, that's kind of that's like the real big sort of sticking point right now for facilities is they're they're being charged, you know, with all this testing, testing of staff, testing of residents, and doing it regularly, and that's what the recommendation is. That's that's pretty much what the requirement is. And nursing homes are saying that's great, but how? How do you expect us to do this with our limited funding? You know, if you give us the funding, we will do it. Um, the, the latest thing that, that was actually a, um, a very welcome move on the part of CMS is they um, said that they were in that they are currently providing this, this diagnostic testing equipment, um, and um, it's sort of a, a type of rapid test. It's, it's, not, um, it's not the typical rapid test. It takes a little bit longer, but it's a way for nursing homes to test more, more rapidly than by sending it to a lab, which takes, you know, about 48 hours, and now there's a, ba- a, back, a backlog, and it's taking even longer. So ner- the CMS that we're going to be sending these, these machines and some actually testing kits to the facilities for them to be able to test more. Now, a problem with that is they're only sending a, a certain amount of tests, and then, and then of course, facilities are on the hook for, for the tests. But um, that's, that's another problem, too. The tests are a little bit less expensive than going to the lab, which is about, I think, $150 per test. These tests are only Correct. about $25 a test. And um, so it's, 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 a, it's a good – I think it's a move in the right direction. Again, but the question is, though, it's, it's, it's a funding it's a funding problem, and it hasn't been solved. I'm a, absolutely. I, I'm tested when I go to a facility. Well, I'm going once a week to facilities, but everybody in the facility has to be tested once a week. But now the lag time in getting results sometimes is four, six, eight days later, which kind of defeats the purpose. So if I'm coming to the facility and I'm tested there, but then I'm going to work in the facility, if I don't, if I don't have the results right then and there, it kind of defeats the purpose, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. It's, it's one of the, the real challenges during this time, you know, is even if you're not in a nursing home and you, you don't feel good, you go get a test, are you supposed to stop your life for six days? Are right. you supposed to not see anybody as you wait for a test? You know, are you supposed right. to keep your children home and not send them to, and of course that has an effect, a ripple effect with, you know, with work and working mothers and things like that. It's very, very trying time right now. Yeah, very, very so, Yes, it is a problem. It, un- unanswered questions, un- unsolved problems, right? We haven't figured all this out. You know, I like I'm that. thinking, um, and we, we talked earlier about, um, you know, hospitals discharging um, residents and uh, to hospitals more quickly, and that's why nursing homes have residents that are more impaired or have more serious medical conditions. But um, there are many people who are not sending their uh, their loved ones to a nursing home because they are um, reluctant with what has come up with COVID. So there are more mm-hmm. people that are keeping their family members at home and then having to make decisions about how they're going to care for their loved ones. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be a real turning point for long-term care and present a real dilemma. If people aren't sending their, their families to nursing homes, how are their family members going to be taken care of? 
the the but the the sort of the secret with nursing homes is I think the the, the idea I think there's a consensus really is that there always will be a place for nursing homes because there's a need and families can't do it all. There's only, there, there, there comes a point when you just can't do it and you need help. You, then you need, you do need a facility. And, you know, I'm sure you've seen it, Phyllis, when, when families get to that point and they're grateful for the facility you need, if you need the facility you want, you, and you're so happy that, that there is someone there for you. And, um, so I think there will always be a place for nursing homes. But, yeah, I think there's been – nursing homes have also taken a hit sort of with publicity with this thing. People are seeing stories, some terrible stories of these outbreaks and facilities not appearing to be equipped to handle it. And there was that story about body, bodies, built, you know, stacking up outside, you know, just awful, awful, awful visual images that are very disturbing to people. And um, – so it is, it is very difficult, and it's hard to imagine wanting to send a loved one to a place like that, right? Um, but, again, it's, um, you know, the media can, can be a two-edged sword, and um, it's not always you know, reflecting what was really going on at, mo- at most places most of the time. You have some outliers. Not every facility is good. There's no question. There's some bad ones, but there's a heck of a lot of good ones. And I think people who are listening probably, some might be shaking their head knowing that maybe a facility really helped you out in a time of need. So it's just doing kind of doing your homework, finding the good ones, and, um, you know, really being an advocate for your loved ones, that's always important. But I don't even know where we, where we started with this question. <laughs> I, have a, I have a question, Liza, just along the same lines. We've covered a lot about the nursing uh, facilities and uh, the information that your publication provides for the providers. What are some of the resources that our listeners, individuals, and families can go to? What are some of the other mm-hmm. publications that focus on the, mm-hmm. on the consumer need, mm-hmm. needs for information? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, AARP has a publication. They're, you know, advocates mm-hmm. for, for families. Um, if you're lurk- looking for a nursing home, the site to go to is, is Nursing Home Compare. Um, and that provides star rating, so you can see how the government is ranking these facilities. A five-star facility is considered the best, so you'd want to look for something in that range. Um, and then in terms of other consumer outlets, um, I, I think that I, uh, U.S. News mm-hmm. & World Reports uh, has a... Um, has an indication of, of nursing homes, which are good nursing homes. Um, I don't mm-hmm. remember the last time that they published it, but I know they had one. I think there are, mm-hmm. uh, there's another uh, website. I can't think of it off the top of my head, um, but there, are, there is another website that you can go to. Uh, gee, if I remember it, I'll, um, I'll say, you know, I, my mind just went blank. I just do want to make one comment about Nursing Home Compare, and that mm-hmm. uh, people still have to do their homework um, right. because star ratings are calculated on, on, and determined on many different areas. And um, 
sometimes they aren't um, always reflected, uh, reflective of, of what's happening in the facility. There are many different factors that go into it. I, I'm glad to know that I think it's this past year. I don't know if they've 100% done it for all buildings yet, but they were separating uh, the star ratings for the short-term rehab as opposed to long-term care. And um, mm-hmm. I think that's an important distinction that people should look at. Even if someone thinks that their loved one is going to a facility for short-term rehabilitation, mm-hmm. there are certainly circumstances mm-hmm. when the person cannot go home for whatever reason. It doesn't mean it has to be mm-hmm. permanent, but it could be for mm-hmm. a period of time and they have to transition mm-hmm. from the short-term rehabilitation mm-hmm. unit to the long-term setting. And then, so that's mm-hmm. something that even if they're going for short-term, I always advise people also look at those long-term care ratings because mm-hmm. even though you, that's mm-hmm. not your plan, um, especially mm-hmm. if there's a d- big distinction, that would tell you a lot mm-hmm. about that building as well. That's great. And I have one other resource. If you go to the consumervoice.org. Um, oh, that's right. And that is, yeah, that is um, hosted by the National Consumer Voice for Quality Long-Term Care. So it offers resources, tips, and tools um, regarding long-term care for your loved ones. I consult that too. Uh, and there's also the Long-Term Care yeah. Community Coalition, which is Nursing Home 411. Uh, there's, uh, mm-hmm. I think that's their website, nursinghome411.com, mm-hmm. uh, where there's also a mm-hmm. lot of information about uh, nursing homes, residents' rights, um, and a variety mm-hmm. of areas related to quality of, quality of care. Mm-hmm. So talking about um, families making decisions for these things, um, you know, I, I, I know, Rubina, that, that you've um, recently, your, your mom went to a short-term rehabilitation setting uh, because she broke her hip. And um, how did you go about making that decision? I know she's a distance away in Canada and you haven't been able to visit her. How did you go about making that decision to find an appropriate place for her? I spoke with the, with the director of care of the facility she was in before assisted living and he was very helpful through his connections he helped me identify one facility which was very convenient on a bus route uh, and also very close to the hospital because my mom is on dialysis and uh, that facility worked out very nicely and then they also have uh, senior facilities so when my mom was assessed that she could not go back to assisted living because of uh, onset of dementia, uh, then I had to select three spaces for her to go to, and my three spaces were that same facility. I thought, you know, she's familiar with it, with the people, with the staff, and uh, and it was convenient for one of my relatives who lives there to visit her. But I got a very surprising phone call this morning, Phyllis, that I briefly shared with you. Uh, My mom has been directed to uh, a temporary facility um, just a few miles from where she is now. Um, So she was transferred today um, uh, to a long-term facility, and she's still on the waiting list for the facility that I had requested. So that's what happened today. So, Liza, that's mm. very 
very fresh in my mind and in, and in my mm. heart today. So, Rubina, have you been pleased with the care? If you don't mind me asking, have you been pleased with how the care she's received? Uh, you know, I have been pleased through my contact with them, but I have been very let's say, anxious not being able to see for myself. Then about, mm-hmm. was it four or five weeks ago, I was able to get uh, an iPad and have virtual visits with her. And, and actually, I was sharing with Phyllis that I was very anxious before the first mm-hmm. virtual call, which was about three months since I had seen her. Mm-hmm. And, but she looked good. So I can see physically she looks good. Um, and okay. that is the only indicator I have. Uh, and not being there... You know, I used to go and visit every four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, spend a few days there, and then I would get a very good sense for what the care was. So COVID has impacted yeah. in every which way. And uh, from, a, from a personal perspective, today has been a very difficult day because Making when you started the conversation, you said, you know, people think of nursing homes as people go there to die. And I, I kind of felt that today. I'm so sorry. It's so difficult. But, I mean, you don't know what's ahead, right? I mean, there could be... We don't know. There could be a we lot of time know. left. You know, you don't know. It's it's awful. I'm mm-hmm. so sorry. Uh, oh, no, you know, uh, that's okay. I, that. I was just going to ask Rubina <laughs> something, and, and actually about this whole thing... Um, um, because Rubina and I did talk about this earlier and that, uh, well, I'll just say this, that even if mentally you, you know something is coming or you're prepared for it, when it actually happens and you, the next step comes, it's, it's not such an easy thing. You're so right, Phyllis. Um, and I appreciate you being there to support me. And I had, uh, you know, I shared with our listeners and with Liza that, I had kind of mentally prepared myself that being in America, COVID, lockdown, the Canadian borders are closed, that that I'm not able to go and I'm okay with it and I'm making sure that she gets the best care possible. But when this happened today, it really took me by surprise that what a strong reaction I had to this event happening and my not being there. Yeah, it's, Absolutely. it's not... It's not it's not easy. Even if you think you're mentally prepared, it's it's just different when the reality of it hits. And it doesn't mean that uh, anything is going to happen tomorrow, but it's kind of like mm-hmm. the next stage. Um, you know, it, it, the, the situation is progressing or advancing, and, and it's the reality of that. Right. So, so that's not uh, that's certainly not an easy situation. I was going to say, I wonder if nursing homes, um, being that people can't visit now, you know, it was an issue before mm-hmm. when people were in the hospital and and they had to be transferred to a um, to a nursing home. And um, I always used to tell people to get this information ahead of time, mm-hmm. plan by choice, not by crisis, because something is going to happen mm-hmm. in all likelihood. And um, right. know the information beforehand, uh, know what your rights are, because once you get that phone call that your loved one is in the hospital, either they fell or 
had a stroke or a heart attack, whatever it is, and then before you know it, they're going to be transferred to a, let's mm-hmm. say, a short-term rehab because they need, they need therapy, um, mm-hmm. and maybe the home situation isn't conducive for that, that uh, people are at the mercy, as I say, of the glossy marketing brochures or the hospital discharge mm-hmm. planners. So I tell mm-hmm. people, please get this information ahead of time, even if you don't think you're going to mm-hmm. need it uh, right now. You, you will need it eventually. So I, I'm thinking, um, you know, I wonder if nursing homes or if anybody has considered doing like virtual tours so that because people can't go visit, I always have me and many other people tell people to go visit facilities, ask questions, um, mm-hmm. get a sense of, you know, from your senses, what you see, what you smell, what you hear. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I wonder if, if facilities, have you heard of this, Lies of facilities maybe starting to do some virtual tours um, so that people can kind of get a sense, get a feel um, of what the inside of a facility looks like, being that they can't visit? That's a great idea. They should be doing that. I hope that they are. I don't have any specific examples, but um, I, heard, I heard about somebody who, got, who took a virtual tour but who's on the, the long-term care financing side. That's what she does. And she, she did get a virtual tour for her position in finance, but obviously she is not a consumer looking for a loved one. But I, I would hope that they're doing things like that. I mean, they really need to market now more than ever, you know, given the census, uh, you know, the, the, the number of people they have is down because elective surgeries were cut off for a while. So they need all the people they can get. Um, I would imagine they, they're thinking of creative, um, creative workarounds like that. Yeah, I actually I'm going to ask the, um, I know two chief operating officers of two major nursing home companies. I'm going to ask them if they have thought about that or if they have plans for that. It, it, it seems like it would be a good idea so that people at least have a sense of rather than doing this blind, it's, it's that it, the whole thing is emotionally laden as it is, not being able to have any sense of what, what a place looks like is even worse. But um, mm-hmm, I think this absolutely. has been a wonderful it, it, conversation, loads of information, and, and I, I thanks, Liza. I, I know this is very valuable for the listeners, and Rabina, thanks for sharing. I know this has been a difficult day for you and for sharing your vulnerability and, and your emotions, and I'm sure there are a lot of listeners that are experiencing what you're experiencing or have experienced it. So uh, when people open up and share that, it's always very helpful. So I I guess we're coming to the close right now, and um, uh, please join us for our next episode of Senior State Straight Talk when we will have more informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. And until then, stay safe, stay well, and stay tuned. Thank you for listening to Senior Straight Talk. Join your hosts, Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry again soon for another episode on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or your favorite podcast platforms. 